All right. I'm going to pray as well. Father, we come before in Jesus' name. Again, psalmist said words that are hard to beat. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable, pleasing to you. Help me, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, after leaders' meeting, I realized that I forgot my notes. And I said, I don't care. I usually don't have notes anyway. So uh, I did write some things down just in case. I tried to remember what my notes were. But uh, today I want to talk about deception. Deception. So I've done this a lot. How many of you guys in this room and gals, there are definite areas in your life where you're deceived. Okay, well, at least at least we're bright enough to realize we don't know everything. Somebody didn't raise their hand, honestly, you're in trouble. The only way you're not deceived is if you have the mind of God. The whole point of the Christian life is to become less and less deceived. That's the whole point. We get saved so that we can get the Holy Spirit in us so he can start unscrambling this rat's nest and thoughts and crazy stuff between our ears. That's, that's, the Bible says you're transformed through the renewing of your mind. So step number one to become, to, to even begin to reach your potential as a human being is to say, I got a lot to learn. So for me, when I'm discipling a young guy, yeah, people, we're all just so arrogant. We're all so arrogant. And if you don't think you're arrogant, you probably don't think you're deceived either, right? That you're just in huge trouble. We're so, we could be arrogant about anything. Um, we're just really messed up. But one of my golden moments when I'm discipling a young guy is when a young guy says, man, I don't know anything, man. I don't know anything. I just feel like, I feel like I'm an idiot. I just feel like I'm like on the absolute ground floor. Actually, I'm, I'm, 20 levels down in the basement. I just feel like I have to relearn everything. Like, hallelujah, we're going to make progress here. When you start to try to mentor somebody and they like to argue with you, even if you show them in the word where their thinking doesn't line up with Jesus, you can't work with them. That's called, that's called a fool. Biblically, that's called a fool. So I want to talk about deception. And I have a, a very specific area of deception that's been bugging me. That I want to bring up here in a minute. But uh, we can be deceived about deception. Uh, and the first thing is, I can't be deceived. Or I'm not deceived. And a lot of people are like, well, I asked Jesus into my heart, so I can't be deceived anymore. I'm just like magic. The Holy Spirit's in me, so now there's no, there's not a single thought that's random, that's demonic, that's off track. Everything I say now is led by the Spirit, is inspired by the Spirit. I just can't be deceived anymore. That is a deception. And that means you've not studied the Bible very closely. Because all through the Bible, it's telling Christians, the war is for your mind. The Holy Spirit is trying to renew your mind. 
the devil's always trying to sabotage your mind. So like all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, when the devil is trying to distort Eve's vision of God, he's never let up. And so even after you truly get saved, no, you don't understand. I mean, I saw visions of angels. I saw, you know, I had, you know, electricity shooting through my body. You know, I was taken to the third heaven. So I, I really, really got saved. I felt pure and clean and holy and all my sins were, you know, like pilgrim and pilgrim's progress. They rolled down into the abyss. And I know I'm clean and saved and I'm a child of God. Well, hallelujah, you're still nuts. Because you don't get a brain transplant when you get saved. You might say it's not exactly true, but I guess in the metaphysical sense, you get a heart transplant. You get new desires, you get new power, but your programming is still nuts. Crazy. You don't know how to be a husband. You don't know how to be a friend. You don't know how to be a wife. You don't know how to be an employee. You don't know how to handle your money. You don't know what to do with trials. You don't know what to do with your bitterness. You don't know anything. You're functioning exactly like you were the day before you got saved. You're just saved now. Now you have access to the Holy Spirit and all this new information if you put in the time. So the first lie that a lot of people believe is that, no, I'm, I'm not deceived. I can't be deceived because I'm a Christian. Jesus is in my heart. I can't be deceived. Well, then why would Paul have all these do not be deceived passages like, you're deceived if you think you can sin and you're not going to have horrendous consequences for that sin. A lot of Christians say, I'm covered by the blood. I'm covered by the blood. So I can just sin and, and there's nothing. You know, God forgives me. Yeah, he forgives you, but you've set off things in, the, in this world. You're going to get run over by an 18-wheeler. You're going to lose that relationship. You're going to lose your kids. You're going to lose your sanity. You're going to lose your health. Because even though you're saved, you're still functioning like a fool. God doesn't have to do anything. He can just sit back and weep because you set things off when you sin that are going to come back and get you. That's the deception. Paul said, I fear that he's telling Christians in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, I fear that as a serpent deceived Eve, you too, Christians, should be led astray. Now, I'm fearing just as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, you too should be led astray. So this is a theme again and again and again. Um, was it 1 Timothy 4? In the latter times, difficult times will you know come. It says many will fall away from the faith. Many will fall away from the faith. Well, they weren't really saved. That's a nice little dodge, and you can just keep your crazy. The devil's coming after us. Jesus said in Matthew 24 that Satan is going to be trying, and the false teachers and the false prophets and all this are going to be trying to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So I can't be deceived. Another deception is the devil can't touch me because I'm a Christian. And then it's... People say, oh, if I offend you, please give me a call. I, I bring up subjects that you don't hear very often, but if I offend you, please give me a call. Don't just get mad and storm off and say I'm a heretic. Um, people are like, I can't be possessed because I'm possessed by Jesus. That is not even a biblical discussion. That is a mistranslation. It is an old usage of the word possession that we have taken a modern understanding of the word possession and we're applying it to scripture. It's not even in the Greek at all. It means afflicted by a demon. And you better bet you can be afflicted by a demon. Even if you're born again, you better bet you can. Anybody in here, give me an amen. Hallelujah. Raise your hand in the air. I've been afflicted by a demon. 
Yeah, I mean, like with an inch of your sanity or your life, nope, can't happen because I'm a born-again believer. You're deceived. Why in the world would Peter say, <laughs> your adversary, Christians, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to play little tricks on, to devour. He's out to devour you, Christians. So yes, you can be deceived, and yes, you could be attacked. Paul tells Christians in Ephesians chapter 4, don't give the devil a tapas. Look up the word tapas. Look it up in the Greek. It can be a room. It can be a house. It can be a chunk of geography. And he's telling Christians, you can give the devil a place in your life. It's in a list of sins. And most people don't even know how, how the devil operates. I didn't either when I first got into Christianity. I just knew people were demonized. I didn't know how they got that way. Um, it takes a lot of study. and uh, But once you learn how they function, you can beat them. But I can't be deceived. I can't be touched by the devil. We're, as Christians, we're just deceived. Um, oh, here's another one. The Holy Spirit is going to mystically guide me or I have discernment. So I just get a kind of heebie-jeebie feeling so I know when someone's on or somebody's off. I can know if somebody's false or somebody's true or somebody's a right teacher or wrong teacher. That is actually one of the most dangerous mental diseases you can have. Thinking you have some kind of spooky, spiritual kind of discernment. You will split churches. You will ruin relationships. That goofy, sloppy, I just get a heebie-jeebie feeling, and that's from the Holy Spirit. So I can't be deceived. That's a lie. The only way that you are safe and the highest level of discernment comes from thoroughgoing knowledge of the word. That's why when the devil tempts Jesus in the wilderness, what does Jesus do? Jesus wasn't, now again, I've, you've heard me do this before. The devil, when he shows up in the wilderness in Luke 4 and Matthew 4, he doesn't come like Freddy Krueger. Jesus, <laughs> make these bread into You know, whatever, make these stones into bread. Oh, that's really tempting. Wow, you're so compelling. You just, I really, I think I want to follow you. Because I'm perfect love and purity and selflessness incarnate, and you just look like a really good option here. No, he comes exactly, he came exactly like he comes to us, like an impression with some scripture mixed in. Well, that sounds kind of good. What did Jesus do? Bap! Scripture. What? Scripture. Bap! Scripture. He didn't go, ooh, I got a heebie-jeebie little feeling. I think this is the devil working on me. He said, no, this thought contradicts a biblical and he said, it is written, wham, wham, wham. If you can't do that, you have no discernment. And it, it, that's right now, it's, it's epidemic in the church. And when someone tells me they have that mystical thing, it is a thing, but if they also don't have a deep knowledge of the word, I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. It, it has just caused more problems in the church. The highest kind of discernment comes from a thoroughgoing knowledge of Scripture. If you abide in my word, then you're really my disciples. Not if you get a heebie-jeebie spiritual feeling. And then you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And then he rebukes the, the, the um, what do you call it, audience or recipients of the letter. The Hebrews, you don't know the word, so you don't have discernment. Discernment comes from word and practice. Word and practice. Not just the words, but you practice it till you can hit a home run, you know, till, till it works. 
another words, and I tried it, didn't work, and I tried it, didn't work, and I tried it. Oh, that's how it works. Word plus practice equals maturity, discernment. And that's how you develop the mind of Christ. And then the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, when you have the mind of Christ, you can discern everything. You can go into any situation, give me some facts, I'll run it through my biblical grid. It says you can discern everything, but nobody can figure you out. That's what it says. But you're not discerned by anyone. So, deception. It's deception to think you can't be deceived because you have Jesus in your heart. It's deception to think the devil can't touch you um, because of some little jingle you picked up in a shallow church. Um, and it's a deception to think that you have a heebie-jeebie thing called discernment before or without a deep knowledge of Scripture. Because the devil has counterfeits, and he will bring a counterfeit. There is something real about spiritual guidance. That is a real thing, and the Holy Spirit will speak to you. But if you're a baby, you won't be able to tell the difference between the devil when he does it, because he's really good at it. What does uh, 2 Corinthians 11 say? He comes as an angel of light. A little bit of pride, a little bit of you know lack of caution, a little bit of independence. Oh, all right. Move in on them, demons. That Christian's ready to crash and burn. When I'm discipling young guys, I say the whole goal of this discipleship thing is to teach you how to listen to God. Once you learn how to do it, you won't need my help anymore. That's the goal. Get enough scripture in you, practice enough, but have some. Have a coach kind of watching over you because I said you'll get it three out of four times. God will say, hey, dude, and some of you guys, I just, some of you guys are like, oh, yep, I could come up there and give a testimony right now. God told me to do this, I did it. Wow, God told me to do this, I did it. Wow, God told me to do this, I did it. And then I thought, I got it from here, and then face plant, because the devil's just waiting for that. So when I, I tell a young guy, hey, do this listening to God thing under some guidance for a while, so you have enough scriptural base, and you have enough experience, and then the goal is get out there and do some great things for the Lord. But deception. We can all be deceived. We all are deceived on points. We can all be led by the devil into deception. Um, and we don't get to rely on sloppy spirituality over hard biblical study. What the Holy Spirit does is he leads us into the biblical text so that we can learn the principles there properly. That's the highest kind of discernment. And that kind of discernment even discerns the spiritual gift of discernment. There is no mystical thing that kind of doesn't have any parameters or boundaries or anything. The scripture is what judges everything. Something else I was thinking about, deception. Um, when you're deceived, you're spiritually deceived because some of the worst deceptions, and the one I'm going to get to, they're spiritual deceptions. What you think about God, what you think about yourself, what you think about salvation, what you think about prayer, what you think about the demonic. Um, some of the most debilitating deceptions are spiritual deceptions, and we pass them around in the church. And really nice, good pastors offer them up and give them out to you. Good people. I was reading a classic book on spiritual warfare. <laughs> I'm almost hesitant to mention it because, uh, yeah, I'm not going to mention it. If you want to find out which one it is, come talk to me. But uh, I think it's one of the most important works on spiritual warfare ever written. This woman was saying it's so much more effective for the devil to promote lies through good men and good women. So much more effective. Again, like Jesus in the wilderness. It's not going to work if Freddy Krueger offers it to you. 
or Jim Jones, you know, or some cult leader, or David Koresh, you know, like, no, oh, that guy's nuts. You know, he's got, he's got, you know, he's 50 wives and he's twisting the scripture and, it, you know, he's obviously crazy. So we're not going to listen to anything. He's, no, we're going to listen to this guy's got his life together pretty well. He's bearing good fruit. And the devil's like, yeah, I could just get him to buy this lie. Got a church of 100 people, 200 people, 1,000 people. Got a radio program, 100,000 people, a million people. He can write a New York Times bestseller. And he's he looks like a good guy. Man, I can infect massive swath of the church of Jesus Christ. Works better through a bad person. I mean, a good person. Oops, yeah. Throw something at me if I say something wrong. Deception. We can be deceived. The devil can mess with us. He's always trying to mess with us. There isn't some mystical heebie-jeebie thing that's always going to be, you know, perfectly accurate in your life. It's the Word of God. Um, and another thing you need to think about, there, we have a little, we have a tendency to protect our deceptions, our spiritual deceptions. And when God is trying to attack an area of spiritual deception in your life, maybe a friend, maybe a book, maybe me, <laughs> we're going to bring a new idea. And if the devil wants you to protect it, how are you going to feel about that? You're going to be offended. You're going to put up your dukes. How dare. That does not line up with what my father, my dad was a pack. My last pastor said, my favorite minister on the radio disagrees 100% with what that guy's saying. I've always thought, my mom, thought, my grandpa, he was the most godly person you'd ever want to meet. You know what he said? No, it's not the same thing. And we put up our dukes, my church tradition, whatever. And I was like, yep, just keep running with that. Our initial response when we hear truth, our initial response when we hear the gospel, put up our dukes. So this is why James, most of us rip this verse out of context in James. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We just tear that out of context. We don't bother seeing. Well, we do that with all kinds of verses. We just cherry pick and then misapply. What is he talking about? James is saying, when the word of God comes to you, don't put up your dukes. He says, with humility. That means, okay, wow. That's some radical stuff I've never heard before. I'm going to go search that out in the Bible. Maybe my grandpa was the greatest Christian man I ever knew. Maybe he was right on 999,000 things. And this was the one thing he got wrong. Because there's nobody perfect on this side of heaven in their theology. So God's going to, when truth comes to you, it will offend you. It has to. Because you think you're right. That's the nature of deception. Deception deceives you. So, of course, you're going to want to fight. You know, if I say, I don't even know football. This won't even work. Someone's like, Kansas City Chiefs are the best. And I'm like, no. Who would I Who would I even throw in there now? <laughs> what? Eagles? Okay. Someone wants to fight you now, right? Okay. Like, no, they're not. And I was like, no, literally, they are. Like, we waited all out. We looked it up. We charted it, graphed it. Every expert on the earth, you know, on planet earth says this team's better than that team. Well, let me look at the evidence. Let me see what you got, right? Like, no, we're just, we're just emotional creatures. We think we're right. So if you've learned something in church and somebody comes along and they 
challenge it, you're going to be offended. So James says, with humility, receive the word implanted. He said, which is able to save your soul. And now again, if you don't study the Bible broadly, you'll say, oh, you're, so you're going to heaven. We're talking about heaven and hell. No, that's not what we're talking about. Basically, save your life. Because James says, when we sin, deception leads us to sin. It says, when sin has run its course, it brings forth death. So, let's see. If you're not taught accurately about bitterness, things are going to die in your life. If you're not taught accurately about sexual purity, things are going to die in your life. If you're not taught accurately about authority, things are going to die. So James says, hey, with humility, receive the word. It's going to offend you. You're going to want to put up your dukes. Be quick to hear. Slow to speak. Well, I've always thought, you know. Most of the religious stuff we we have in our, most of us, we didn't earn it. We got it all secondhand. Come on, people. If you're a Baptist, it's because you were born in a Baptist church, you were saved in a Baptist church, and you just took everything secondhand. If you're a Pentecostal, most of you are born in a Pentecostal church or born again in a Pentecostal church. If you're a Presbyterian, you know, same story. Even if you're truly saved, most of your stuff you got secondhand. And even if you're truly born again, had you been born again in a Baptist church, you'd see things a little different. If you'd been born in a dispensational church or a covenant church or a Calvinistic church or an Arminian church or whatever, all these secondary things, you didn't earn them. You just got them from some nice people. They can't all be right. It's got 10 different denominations, 10 different views, 10 different born-again people. Uh, good chance nine of them are wrong. What are the chances you were born are born again into the perfect church with all the perfect doctrine? Goose egg. No chance. You got a gazillion things to learn. Most of the stuff you know you got secondhand. So don't get mad. Say, all right, God, bring it on. Bring it on. I know I'm born again. Most churches that believe the Bible are not getting that wrong. Jesus died for your sins. Right? You're a sinner. Amen. Jesus died for your sins so you wouldn't have to die. He rose again on the third day. If you believe you know, in him as your atoning sacrifice, you can be forgiven. Um, you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And uh, you say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you as Lord of my life. So if you confess with your mouth, Jesus, the Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Most churches are getting that right. Okay, God, I'm in. But I'm not real sure about just about everything else. End times. Oh, no, I know end times. I was raised in a Baptist church, man. They'd run a chart all the way around this whole room. They would, every little detail, every tooth on the beast in Revelation, every little jewel on his crown we had it all nailed down end times no just got it secondhand i was born in a calvinistic church tulip that's the grand center of no i was born in i'm born in armenian church you know where that's uh it's all secondhand for most people infant baptism that's the thing the Baptist is like, no, you're just choosing to disobey the scripture. It's just willful violation of the scripture. It's like, well, you you've not studied anything. Because they're they're actually the people that study it's a it's a very intelligent perspective. It has to do with the same way they worked with circumcision in the old covenant, given to adults, applied to children. Really smart people have that view. But if you're born in this church, you have that. Anyway, but God wants to correct your theology. And if you're not teachable, the Bible says you're a fool. 
And so we always want to come before God. And, and I do this regularly. God, wherever I'm wrong, I want you to go to war against it because I know I'm wrong. Anyone want to come up here and tell me where you're deceived? Can't do it because you have no clue. God has to do it. So my greatest breakthrough came, again, you've heard this a 8 billion times when I realized after my second theological degree that I wasn't getting God right. I was not getting the character and nature of God right. One awards, new Greek, new Hebrew. I, yeah, take, took it a lot further than 99.9 of all, you know, percent of all humanity. And God's like, yeah, you just, you're missing one little thing, me. Just the center, just the kind of center of absolutely everything else you're going to believe in your life. I was like, all right, tear it down. So uh, what have we done so far? You can be deceived. You can be messed with by the devil. <laughs> you don't have some heebie-jeebie gift of discernment that makes you bulletproof on this side of heaven because the Bible's full of warnings to Christians. And your defensiveness is going to keep you from receiving new truth that is going to save your life. Now look at my, look at my notes here. See what else I had here. Where's my, my glasses? They disappeared. I'm in big trouble. Okay. Well, I guess I can't do that. Okay, so now, so so here, here's what I want to, the church of Jesus Christ right now is in trouble. And anybody who doesn't believe it is deceived. <laughs> I think things are going pretty well. I was like, what the heck? That's like you're, you know, you're like in the middle of a blitzkrieg of World War II, you know, and all the bombs are blowing up and people are running down the street with limbs missing. I think things are pretty great. The biggest churches are imploding. You know, we got a whole bunch of young people. I, this is my favorite age set is 20-something. 20 20-somethings 20 are jumping ship right now by the thousands they call it deconstructing because the church has been so sick and it hasn't given them what they wanted for you know needed they're just like this is a joke i'm out of here man professor i went to moody bible institute last couple of years ago a professor at moody bible institute deconstructed like i'm out of here i don't know if that's ever happened in the history of you know 100 plus year history of that bible college pastors are deconstructing i'm out of here Sovereign Grace Ministries, flagship church, flagship pastor. I don't remember what his name was. I'm out of here. His wife, I'm out of here. They get a divorce. Go on uh, Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever. There's show after show after show. Hey, let's watch Hillsong implode. Let's watch, you know, whatever that big... Mark Driscoll Church out in California or Oregon or wherever it was. Let's watch that one implode. Let's watch. The, the Church of Jesus Christ is in huge trouble. And one of the reasons is, one, just one of them is, we're deceived about prayer. I don't know exactly how the devil got in and took it away from us. But... And it's kind of a grisly, gruesome analogy to use, but we all know what ended World War II. 
the atomic bomb. Prayers are atomic bomb. Devil took it away from the church. We used to be able to drop that sucker on him, clear out a whole nation. Demons screaming, running out. Man, we, we just got to lay low for, who knows, one year, two years, five years, until the Christians stop praying. Because we're deceived about what prayer is, how it works, and people get mad when I talk about this because we're so deceived about it. Pastors get mad. I was reading an article by one of the biggest pastors in one of the big, most influential churches in America. Quite honestly, garbage. How could you be right? This church is big. I guess Joel Olstein is the greatest theologian on planet Earth then. Big means nothing. Little means nothing. How many people were following Jesus when everything came down? Just a few ladies and John at the foot of the cross. But I've studied history, and I've read these books, and I try to get you guys to read these books. Nobody's reading these books. They're not passing these books around. The way people used to pray 100 years ago, 150 years ago, was a totally different animal. Churches don't have prayer meetings anymore because we're deceived. And even to try to untangle the knot, people aren't willing to talk it through or think about it or whatever, they just have their beliefs and they say, you have to be wrong because my denomination says, and my favorite teacher says, and my podcast says, and my theology class says, but are you praying? Because if you're not praying, that says a lot right there. Like they were in the New Testament. Why are they having all nights of prayer? When a problem came up, they had an all night of prayer and problem was solved. Who's doing that right now? Who's doing that right now in America that you know of? What big church in America besides the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York? Because when I was a young kid, basically, that's where I learned a lot. You know, I, I saw a church actually do this. No, doesn't happen. And people will talk to Jim Cimbala and these big pastors that have the same size of church. They'll say, we can't get anybody here. I got 10,000 people on Sunday. If I call a prayer meeting, 50 people might show up. Why? Because we, we have been duped about what it is and what it accomplishes and whatever. Um, and the, if the devil can keep this out of our grasp, he wins. If you just this little group in here, if you guys could get a hold of this, we could change history. I know it. I know it. We could change history. But we got lies. We're, we're deceived. We're does it really do anything? <laughs> does it really? And so somehow the lie that whatever way it's been spun out to you. And it's sad because there are people that are sincere lovers of Jesus and we're going to see him in heaven. But they're passing around a pathetic, paper thin, anemic, worthless doctrine of prayer. Um, but but at the heart of it is somehow this idea that your prayers don't accomplish anything. 
that's the heart of the lie. And you can spin it out a million different ways and you can attach it, attach it to theological truths that are true and just get them out of order and out of place. But the bottom line is your prayers don't matter. And we can, and it's funny because the, the devil gets in our logic. He gets in our logic. Well, if this is true of God, then this has to be true of prayer. And if that's true of prayer, then and then by the time you're done, you're like, oh, man, why does God have us pray? And then we come up with stupid little cliches and jingles. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes me. It helps me to helps me to meditate on good things and helps me to line up what's in, what what's inevitably going to happen anyway. It, whatever helps me to I don't even know what. Whatever it does, it doesn't make you want to stay up all night praying. But if you read the old stuff by the guys that shook the planet and the women that shook the planet, they're like, prayer changes everything, man. Prayer is the atomic bomb. Prayer. And it's just, it's not taught in the church. It's just not being taught right now in the biggest churches. And it's funny because, well, it used to be everybody in like the 1800s across the theological spectrum. Charles Finney, man, read his stuff about prayer. Brother Nash, he used to have a guy go before him um, when he would preach. He'd rent a room and he'd stay there for a week. Lock himself in the room, fast and pray. Wouldn't eat. The people that are renting the room are like, what's this dude doing in there groaning? Charles Finney would come again. <laughs> Sometimes you watch a movie. You ever watch like a, a movie about, um, I don't know, like the Middle Ages or something in war? And you're like, what would happen if someone brought a Tommy gun into that battle? You ever do that? You know, guys, you ever like, you're just like watching a movie? That's what prayer does is to the spiritual forces, man. It's like bringing a Tommy gun in where they're like, you know, got their little bows and arrows and their little swords. All right, church, let's uh, march in and get the spoils. And the devil's just taking it away. But Charles Finney, he would just go in and mop up. Like, yeah, that's because he wasn't a Calvinist. Well, you've not read Calvin or the great Calvinists because they prayed the exact same way. And somehow they could extricate their Calvinism, their ultimate beliefs from actually how you have to walk with Jesus. And they would groan and they would wrestle. Man, and Andrew Murray's got some of the scariest stuff on prayer, and that dude is a Calvinist to the bone. Uh, you read, some of you guys read his books. Dude is a Calvinist, but some guys read him like you can't be a Calvinist because he acts like prayer gets stuff done. He says prayer does get stuff done because that's how it works. Sometimes you feel like some of these guys' books are going to like burst into flames in your hands while you're reading them. You're like, you're not allowed to say that. All these people that got it done, they knew. I was reading R.A. Tory. Because we have to stay up nights. We have to groan. We have to birth things. We need to cry. We need to plead. We need to demand that God move. And the dead church says, I can't believe you're impinging upon the sovereignty of God when you say that. And the devil laughs. As long as we can keep him out of the prayer room, we got things under wraps. And the heart of the lie is prayers don't matter. 
Your prayers don't accomplish anything. Say whatever else you want to about them. And again, it's not the length of time you spend in prayer because you can go into a gym and be stupid and waste time and make no progress, right? It's about praying long, but praying intelligently, praying rightly. There's a right way to pray. Uh, and the church has lost this weapon. We are deceived. And I'm not talking about some of us are kind of getting it. How do you know you're getting it? Exactly. A child knows this. So many things are, yeah, what is it? Psalm 8 talks about out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you've established strength to shut up your enemies, right? Make your enemies shut up. So you got a theological professor, well, prayer and the infinite attributes and blah, 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 blah. You ask a child, how do you know someone's got it going on in prayer? Oh, it works. It works. Stuff happens, right? How do you know this guy knows how to pray and this guy just has a bunch of confusing big words? Um, this guy prays and stuff happens. That's all through the Bible. That's, yeah. That's what people said to Jesus. We know that God's with you because no one can do the things that you do. God does stuff. That's how you know someone has a good doctrine of prayer. God does stuff. You don't have any miracles. You don't know how to pray. Oh, that's so offensive. How dare you? Have you memorized the first chapter of James yet? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. If you don't have any miracles, you don't know how to pray. You may have a big theory, a big theology. And uh, we got some miracles. We do. This room's full of miracles. And I just really like saying this because, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe I should, maybe I should. But we, all of us feel like we stink at it. But we're not buying into that lie that it doesn't make any difference. Some of you guys, some of you guys are just like, when I look at you, I like, like look away, or I might start crying. God's doing miracles, and we're not even any good at it. But we're not going to fall for that lie that it doesn't matter. You got any miracles? I don't. I'm not going to ask you to do this. What if I ask you what's your very best, 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 best answer to prayer? Could you blow all our hair back? Come up here and blow our hair back. Because that's what prayer is supposed to do. Prayer invites a supernatural God to move things around down here. And the church right now is saying everything but that. And part of this lie is everything is rolling out just like God wants it to, so don't get yourself all worked up. Everything is going just like God... and. And again, this is where I can really get offensive, but we say these little cliches and it keeps us in our chains. I almost hesitate to say them because you won't believe what that pastor is. You know, the refuge said. Everything happens for a reason. God's still on the throne. Didn't surprise the Lord. And then in prayer, if it be thy will. All of these things are just reinforcing that idea that prayer doesn't change things. Prayer doesn't work. Nothing happens in this world because of prayer. But then you look at all the greats in history. 
Andrew Murray said, it is, and this, he was talking about his church where they're having revivals all over the world. He said, this is a sign right now that the church is sick is people don't have specific direct things in the church. Christians don't have very specific direct things. They can say, God did this and God did that and God did this because they pressed in and they lay hold of God. Yeah, I don't know if I need to say a whole lot more. One thing we need to do is we need to say, God, open our eyes. I don't want to be a part of the American church as the devil ravages it and pillages it and takes all our children and steals all our pastors and shuts the doors of all these ministries and makes us look like a bunch of clowns as followers of Jesus. I mean, that's what the world sees, a bunch of morons that just hate everybody that's not them racist bigots you know whatever they see not intelligent not compassionate not world changers and then we have all our excuses as to why we're right i was uh i was witnessing to a guy on friday and uh this always works if you really want to get people's attention when you're witnessing don't just argue with them about your philosophy they, uh, I got some miracles, and uh, and 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 I have the phone numbers, and I actually have some videos about them. You want you want to see some miracles? Because my God breaks in and does stuff, and so that always like you can be arguing about philosophy and yeah, the Enlightenment and Immanuel Kant and postmodern blah 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 blah. Last guy I was talking to was like, I went to Oxford. I'm super smart. I got a God who does stuff, and he's like drops his hands. Huh? whoa that's that's kind of out of the box he even told me then we got in a texting kind of it was really fun i hope i can talk more of this guy he said that's your that's your strongest argument man everybody you know i don't know don't want to be crude but you know it's like opinions are like belly buttons man everybody's got one but not everybody can say my god does stuff Real Christians who understand, I'm not saying you're not a real Christian. You can be a real Christian, be totally duped out of your mind about prayer. Sitting on your hands, you know, <laughs> it's like in World War II, sitting on the atomic bomb. Dude, what are we going to do about those Japanese? I don't know, man. You got any ideas? Yeah, I got a pea shooter. I don't know. What do you got? I got a bow and arrow. You're sitting on an atomic bomb. I know it's a horrible analogy. It was a terrible thing. But I mean, but we can blow up the demons. That's all right. Blowing up the demons. We're sitting on the atomic bomb and we don't we're not using it. Our God does stuff. I don't I don't cry usually in prayer. Remember remember what those young guys they asked William Booth, how in the world are you such an incredible soul winner, William Booth? He said, try tears. If you think everything's rolling out just as it's supposed to, what's there to cry about? What's there to get mad about? What's there to fight about? Well, you know, if God didn't want it that way, it wouldn't be that way. It takes all the fight out of you to believe your prayers don't matter. But if God says, no, you're an agent of change. This is your weapon. Use it. It's also an art and a skill. And uh, we get, we just so touchy. We just get so offended about everything. But people in this church, they'll say, I was talking to so-and-so, and they had this disaster and I was trying to talk to them about prayer. So, are you telling me God wasn't listening to my prayers? 
Are you telling me that your prayers are better than my prayers? And this didn't happen because of me. Oh, perish the thought. I mean, that's what happened to the disciples. Why couldn't we cast it out? Because you guys don't know how to do it. That's what Jesus told them. Why is that such a hard pill to swallow? Yeah, there's all kinds of things that aren't happening because we don't know how to pray. It is a skill set. Do you know how to play? Anybody in here uh, can play Brahms, you know, on a piano or Beethoven? Anybody just put a grand piano? Well, it can't be done because I can't do it. That's ridiculous. You put in the time, you learn how to do it, you can do it. It's a skill set. There's rules. You have to be born again. If you're not born again, God could answer your prayer, but he has no obligations at all. But if you're born again, you got to have clean hands and a pure heart too. You can't go in with bitterness. You can't go in after a big fight with your spouse that you didn't apologize for, right? God says your prayers are going to be hindered. Forget about it. You're my kid, but I'm not listening until you get that straightened out. You got to be born again. You got to come in with clean hands and a pure heart. You got to have right motives. You can pray for someone's salvation. And if you have the wrong motive, God's not going to answer you. God, I want to lead this person to Christ because it'll make me look good because I'm the evangelism guy at church and everybody will, right? God's like, you're nuts. What are, you, what are you talking about? How about because I love them and I shed my blood for them and the devil has them and that's an abomination and he needs to be on my side. Why don't you get fired up about this and purify your motive, right? So you got to have right motives. <laughs> it's just, yeah, there's all these little things you got to line up. All these people that shook the world, they knew it. So we're deceived. I think this is one of the biggest ones, the biggest ones, that, the biggest problems. A lot of Christians have never seen a miracle. And then we have a ridiculous logic. Like, I think my theology of prayer is pretty good because when I do it, miracles happen. And this is since I, I'm glad before I studied theology, I actually had some amazing experiences in prayer. So no matter how much the professors and the pastors tried to get me off that track, like but it works you know i'm not gonna give it up because you guys ain't seeing nothing and i'm seeing some cool stuff but people that think everything's rolling out the way god wants it all the time you say but you that's not compelling yeah but my experience backs up my theology because i believe everything that's going to happen does happen and that's exactly what happens so my experience backs up my thoughts that's ridiculous they're not going to be compelling I believe what I'm telling you, because even though I can talk about it up here and my practice is somewhere down here, man, I've seen God rip the heaven open. What's fasting all about? Well, fasting's about cranking up your desperation level. There's all kinds of goofy teachings about fasting. You're just so desperate, you can't think about anything else. Why do we weep in prayer? Man, I wish I wept more. Because we're desperate. Why do we fast? Because we're desperate. What kind of things can you pray for? Ransack the Bible. It's like a coupon book. You can't just pray for anything. So you got to be born again. You got to have clean hands and a pure heart. You got to find things that the Bible says you can ask for, like the power of the Holy Spirit in a ministry situation, like wisdom, like peace that passes comprehension, like guidance. There's all kinds of promises. You don't know the Bible. You're just like shooting into the dark, right? You need to attach your prayers to promises. So, yeah, after the service, we usually have a time of prayer. We need to pray, God, help us to do this better.
We're, we're so much better. You know that Tuesday night used to be my one of my least favorite times in the church because I kind of felt like I was having to like drag a bunch of people, up, you know, and maybe like, how dare you? So that's what I felt like. I had to keep this thing going and none of us were very good at it. Now I just show up and everybody's like, oh. after two hours, it's like, hey, stop, we got stop. You know, we only have this building till nine. You know, you got to sometimes we're getting better at it, but we're still not very good at it. But we need to push harder. Man, and, and you need to read those old books. Just, I, I'm coming across the most wonderful stuff. When you found, like, <laughs> you're praying for someone's salvation, you got to latch on to that and say, like Jacob, I'm not going to let you go until you do this. And then we find that offensive, don't we? That's because we don't know how to pray. I was reading Tori, and he said, God delights in people that won't take no for an answer. Well, based on what promises, God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Are you saying it's dependent on me? Yeah. I find that offensive. Okay, then live your life and never lead a single person to Christ. Every, you know, so many of you guys in here that came to Christ because we warred for you. And pulled you off the street, out of mental hospitals. We warred for you. That was funny. I said I was going to end about five minutes ago, didn't I? Before uh, this started, where is he? I was talking to Dom. We were talking about his family. And we are just having, I said, any of you who say, who say, I guess all we can do is pray. You don't have a clue what it is. You say, all we can do is pray. Nothing left to do but pray. <laughs> Again, back to World War II. Uh, all we got is the atomic bomb. I don't know. That's all we got. Prayer is... <laughs> that ends it. That ends it. When you lock on, you're standing on the promises of God, you're born again, you got clean hands and a pure heart. You say, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. Uh, Tori and... Um, uh, I'm going to say Mueller, but they, both of these guys put Mueller in their book as the example because they all agree. We got a Baptist and a Presbyterian and a brethren guy, and they all pray the same way. He says, you lock on to something until you get it or until you until God tells you to stop and you know it's God. He's not going to tell you to stop praying for someone's salvation. He might tell you to stop praying for someone's healing because God says, look, this person's being an idiot, and this is how I'm getting their attention. I want to heal them, but this pain is going to cause them to look up. So I don't want to heal them just yet. So back off. Paul wanted God to remove the thorn in the flesh. He earnestly sought the Lord three times. And God says, Paul, yeah, of course, usually a demon riding a Christian isn't normal. But in your case, it's uh, useful. Paul's like, okay, now that I know what's going on. And uh, I think it was Andrew Murray saying, you know, Moses wanted to enter the promised land. God said, nope, you don't get to. There's, there, But you lock on, you pray. And something else that both Tori and Murray said, to say, because I didn't get a quick answer, it wasn't the will of God, he, they both said, that's just sloppy and lazy. 
And I said, well, maybe not. Maybe we're just deceived. And that's what we were taught. If it didn't happen in a week or two weeks or whatever, maybe God doesn't want it. They'd say, no way. You lock onto that until either you obtain or God tells you let go. If we start praying like that, All right. So, uh, yeah, we still have 10 minutes to when we normally end the service. Uh, I'd like to, we usually have a song and then we have a time of prayer. But, but uh, anybody have anything in here you could use some prayer for? Anybody? I do. I shed some tears for my prodigal son yesterday. So why don't I do that? Boy? What's the matter with me? I got some stuff to pray for. Um, and then, of course, we have kind of the chaos of got to go get your kids and sign your kids out. And we got to set up the other rooms. So don't forget to do that. And if this is all freaking you out, and you're like, I don't even know what you're doing here. And you'd rather just go talk to people. You can go in that other room after they get it set up and get your lunch. But uh, we got we to gotta push harder. Do you think do you think God wants to send a sweeping move of the Holy Spirit to Manhattan, Kansas? Well, if he did, he would, so let's just sit on it. No, he will if people say the harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. God make me somebody who can pray, who can agree, who can lay hold of you. We're not even trying and we're and, and still this place is pretty stinking awesome. We're not even trying. I shared Christ with like, I think just one person this week. How many of you share Christ with? We're not even trying, people. They had all nights of prayer all the time in the book of Acts. We have one once a month. We're just barely, and we're still seeing all kinds of cool stuff. What would happen if we really went for it? I'm going to close in prayer. We can have sing a song together. And then uh, let's just kind of do our normal thing. And anybody needs some prayer? You know, we don't want to hear a sermon. We don't want you to come down here and bring a sermon. We don't want an exhortation, unless it's a short one on how we need to pray. Uh, we, ju we just need to cry out to God. Say, help us to do this better. Break our hearts. Destroy those strongholds in our mind that are keeping us from winning the battle. So, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that I've seen you man bust in but there's big gaps between i've been doing it for 30 years so i can jam them all together and look like i have this incredible exciting life but they're big gaps sometimes months sometimes years but i've seen you break in lord i've seen you when i've interceded for someone's salvation you send them a dream that night that broke them down Lord, I, you, know, you, want, you want people to be saved. I've seen you, Lord God, with my son. Same thing. You, know, you need to use dreams more. They seem to work really well. We pray, Lord God, loose those dreams and those visions, but help us not to be goofy and get all wrapped up in them and understand what you're up to. And those are just tools, secondary things, weapons to see the bigger picture happen. We pray you'd be glorified. Give us a proper view of who you are, what you want to do. Unite our hearts. 
just uproot the nonsense that we've all picked up about prayer. Lead us by your spirit. Groan in us, Holy Spirit. Groan. So we can groan with our words and agree with you. We love you. I just thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. And I thank you, Lord. Pretty much every row we got a miracle or two or three that we could sit here and talk about all day. But Lord, you could do so much more, so much more. So we love you. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven because we're people of prayer. We love you and uh, just pray you continue to be with us and we could move your hand, stretch out your hand like the, like the apostles said, heal the sick, let signs and wonders be performed in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And we pray this in your wonderful name. Amen.